T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Man, we've been waiting for this one, haven't we? Rebecca Black bringing in the weekend. I feel like things have gotten somewhat better as of late when it comes to just the constant nonstop election season that we just went through. And then the aftermath nonstop. I needed the I needed the break of Christmas to take it, take it easy. And then it picked right back up. And I feel like it's going to be just kind of at this level for a long time. So if there's something you want to talk about, you can call in now at 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Always uh, a good time to have you on the show. And this is a pretty big deal at KMOX.com, a report. Adam Wainwright returns to the Cardinals for 2021. Looks like the Cardinals have uh, not yet announced the deal unless something has changed between the last time I checked in when this uh, report came out about 6 o'clock tonight. (laughs) Excuse me. Wainwright's new deal with the Cardinals believed to be for about $8 million, according to John Heyman. He's an insider there with the radio.com. And as a local guy, you know, this is what John Heyman says, local guy and a legend in St. Louis for good reason. And he's award-winning. He's won all kinds of different, um, all kinds of different love and affection from everyone here in St. Louis, all that he does for the community, all that he does on the mound. Think about with the great run that the Cardinals had a couple of seasons ago and watching him up there doing what he was doing was just fantastic and remarkable to see him take it all the way to the uh, nearly to the world series, got close, but not quite. And no one thought they could do something like that. I just hope this indicates that Yadier Molina is on the way back to St. Louis too. I'd love to see those two together, even if it's just one more time. I would love to. And they work so good together. And it's amazing. Uh, you know, it, it, in sports, it's amazing at that age, 39 years old, he was the oldest player in the National League last season, coming back and arguably one of the huge, more reliable starters. And last year, he led the team with five wins, started 10 games, pitched, uh, let's see, 65.2 innings, 54 strikeouts. Keep in mind, it was a shortened season last year and everything else. He ranks fourth in Cardinals history in pitchers for uh, Ward, W-A-R, you know, third in all-time wins. You can tell I'm not a big baseball fan because I have no idea what a war is. Don't know. Win ratio or something, I'm guessing. Second 
Oh, wins above replacement. Okay, that's what it means. Yeah, I'm, I'm a hockey guy, so when I see something like that, it's a statistic that they don't track in hockey. Uh, third all-time in wins, second all-time in strikeouts, sixth all-time in any pitch in Cardinals history, fourth all-time in game started, and third all-time in uh, strikeouts to, uh, I guess that's uh, batter's rate. But I look at that and I think, man, it's nice to know it, this could be the goodbye. This could be the let's go one more time around. Let's do it for the fans. Let's see if there's anything left in the tank. And it's kind of like that for Tom Brady in a way. Now he's going to the Super Bowl and playing, and I don't feel bad. I, I I look at that and I say, I don't feel bad. He's been there so many times. I know there's a lot of people that hate it, but man, we're looking at the greatest quarterback of all time, still doing it up until the old age. We're talking about him leaving his team, starting over in another city, and taking that city to the Super Bowl first year he's there. That is remarkable, honestly. How do you not like a story like that? And then they go up against uh, what could be. Now, keep in mind the amazing start of Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. If he keeps this up for the entirety of his career, kind of like Tom Brady has, I mean, we could be looking at the two greatest quarterbacks of all time facing each other, and then when the NFL Network in the future does a retrospect documentary on it, they're all going to be watching this one Super Bowl, just looking at the tremendous amount of talent between the two. And Mahomes actually has a chance of being better than Tom Brady in the long run, but it's sight to be seen. I mean, there's so many other great quarterbacks that we've seen in these eras. And it's weird for me as a sports guy. When I was younger, I used to watch NFL games every Sunday. When I was younger, I used to watch hockey all the time. When I was younger, didn't really get into baseball, but I knew some of the major players. Today, I just don't pay attention to sports at all. You know, I, I know the Blues. I know the Cardinals here locally, just in the sense that, you know, it's it's enough going on that I can pay attention to it. But it's all the players I grew up watching, all the players that I enjoyed, they're all out of the league. There's very few of them that are still playing. Tom Brady may be the very last connection I have from when I last paid attention to sports. There's very few of those players still out there. And it's kind of strange because it's like a whole new world. I could watch a game and I probably wouldn't know one person playing anymore. Just all all completely different names. All right. Uh, coming up a little bit later, I wanted to talk about stimulus checks. There's some stipulations of what could be happening with that. Governor Parson getting upset uh, with what's going on in the coronavirus vaccine line that's getting jumped in Jefferson City. And Scott Greenberger is going to join us from the Pew Research and State Line to talk about some of those different issues that states are facing right now. But honestly, I'd like to hear from you. Give us a call if you'd like. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. It's Overnight America. Here we are. I'm just ready for the weekend, just like everyone else, honestly. Can't complain, though. Stimulus checks won't be taxed. I think that was always the same from the beginning. Now they're debating what is the threshold of those that should get it and what should they get? I mean, they've thrown so many different ideas around. And what happens is that these websites just pounce on it and they'll put up anything they want and they know people will click on it and they realize get the clicks while the clicking is good. So the federal government has sent all kinds of different money out. So two rounds so far, originally the $1,200, then the $600 checks, depending uh, when. And now they're looking at another one. So they're saying that the sec the two round of direct stimulus payments that were sent were tax-free. Now, we already knew that sort of thing. 
the first one was tax-free. I didn't know that for sure for the second one, but I just assumed it would be. So that's true. But if you received unemployment benefits, that is treated as income. So that needs to be taken into consideration. They had the state unemployment and then the federal supplemental unemployment that they added extra on top of that for months. So you may have collected a lot of money through that alone. That will be taxed. That's not free. So keep that in mind when you go to file your taxes this year. And if I remember, they pushed the filing season back, which means you can't even file till what, mid-February now, if unless they push it back again. So the stimulus checks are tax-free, the, the ones that came through. Uh, the amounts that are being calculated are on a sliding scale. So originally, I think they said up to $100,000 you could earn and still be eligible to get the first stimulus tax and then they sent all that stuff out and then i think they dropped it down to 75 for the second one and then when they tried to renegotiate this and they wanted to do this and that i know that pelosi and them wanted to push it up where you can have like a household income above 300 grand or something crazy like that and they're still sending this money out so if you got a household income like that and you're giving money to them when this money could be used for lower income where it should go and belong to help those that are most in need. Now, this is what they're saying. They're, they're saying that the next one around and the way that they're looking at it could even change where I think household income would be a total of 75, not individual income. So household income, but that's not even for sure yet. The adjusted gross of more than 75, and then it starts to taper off in things. So for getting married couples or whatnot, just as we're talking about a household income, but that's not even for sure because so many other things are being thrown out there. It's hard to even tell where these things are going. It's just a mess. So whenever you see a link online, I think the moral of the story is they don't know what's going on. It may be outdated information because they're trying to get as much as they can out there and they know people on it. So wait until there's something actually in the books before you get excited, <laughs> if at all. And you still could be against this happening again because of all the waste I'm sure they'll put into it. Let's go to Dane, who's holding on. Welcome to Overnight America. Good good evening, Mr. Recker. How are you doing this, this evening? Doing all right. I'm just about 40 minutes away from the weekend, so that's pretty nice. Well, I'll tell you now, just, uh, I was telling your screener a while ago that, you know, he needs a pay raise, of course. And, uh-huh. uh, I would be, you know, that'd help me with, uh, if, you know, they're talking about the next one would be $1,400. That would help me because I'm planning to move in the future. Uh-huh. And you want but to save that? guess what? I will what? still be able to listen to y'all because uh, I'll just tell Siri to play KMRX and I'd be calling you for my new home. <laughs> yeah. Where are you planning on moving? To, are you Are you going further away? Uh, I would be in, hopefully, if everything goes right, I'm looking at Texarkana, Texas. Oh, wow. That's pretty far. But you can still get 1120 AM there. But, of course, the streaming's always great. Well, I used to, well, I used to live in, Tex- in Texarkana back in the uh, early 90, uh, early 90s. So this is, yeah. I lived there twice. So I'm kind of anxious to move there, you know, we're, just trying to get all deep. I'm not moving now, probably about another year or so down the road, but yeah. So you're planning. On uh, I just, I just getting all the stuff lined up, but don't worry, Ryan, I will still call you from time to time <laughs> from Texas. But, I'm glad that you still listen. That's what, uh, that's helps. And even listening on a smart device or downloading the podcast helps too. Well, I, I'm, 
the only thing that's going to be changing is going to be my address. My phone number is going to be the same. So when I call y'all, it will still show up as Edwardsville, but I'm, I'm going to be in Texas. So okay. I'm not How changing my cell number. It's cold <laughs> tonight. I keep looking at the temperatures there in the teens. That's very chilly. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's cold. And, and then saying Dallas is up going to be in the fit, uh near 60 today so i'm like or <laughs> that's tomorrow. why you're moving i get it yeah you no, know no, when it's no, warm no. Just, it works well it's just a lot of places in texas are open now opposed to illinois yeah that's what my wife keeps telling me she said hey just make sure we go to someplace warmer if uh we if we have to that's well you have a good night ryan and i'm hoping we get those 1400 checks i'm, I'm okay. looking forward to that but Thanks, you have Dane. a good night and don't work too hard next week <laughs> I'll try not to. I hope it's easy next week. This week was a somewhat easy week, mostly because of all the interviews we had scheduled. And there were some really good interviews. If you go back into the Overnight America podcast for this week, just go download all of them. That helps me. I mean, it, it helps me feel like this show is enjoyable enough where people want to listen to it, even when it's not listening to it live. So if you uh, want to go download the podcast, go download all of them, <laughs> you know, just because that always helps. I saw this over on KSDK. I got the story from them, but this was part of an address from Governor Parson where he's talking about the different lawmakers that jumped the line in order to get the coronavirus vaccine. Now, that is pretty lousy, right? So if you are sitting there and you know there is a order of priority and you're not in that order of priority, should you really feel bad when you get called out for it no i don't think so governor parson is right to do this and i'm glad that he did take a listen to uh part of his address here everybody in this building knows what the guidelines are to get a vaccine if you got a vaccine yesterday and you don't have underlying health conditions and you're under 65 years old and you used your position to be able to get a vaccine is totally uncalled for and for the minority leader to come out and say there was confusion about it to try to cover up why they all run over there and got a vaccine is totally inappropriate. Everybody in this building knows what the guidelines are. And legislatures, by all means, should not be able to jump to the front of the line. And for the people that were in line, 65-year-olds, the people that qualify for that shots, uh, definitely deserve better than that from elected officials here in this state. Everybody is going to stay under the guidelines that we have uh, that we've established, and we're going to continue to do that. So I want to make sure that's very clear. There's a lot of misinformation there, but really what happened is people just went over there and they tried to use their positions to jump the line. It was the simple truth of what happened. Yeah, and it's not just in Jefferson City with certain lawmakers. What if we were to look at the priority in the county? So when you have first responders, should the members of city council be put into the front of the line uh, over first responders or those that are frontline responders or anything like that. I don't think so. What about if you're the old press secretary or communications director for Sam Page? You think that maybe she would be able to jump the line in front of the first responders or teachers or those that are a high risk? You think that should happen? Hmm. I don't think so either. And then again, when you look at it online and if you're working with Sam Page, it seems like you get to jump the line. Why is that happening so much in the county? Why is that? It, that shouldn't happen. You know, if, if you've got a lineup of people that are doing work day in and day out 
and for some reason you feel like it would be in your uh, it, it would be a, in your best interest to pull the political strings that you have in order to get this before anyone else, even if you're not in a high risk category, even if you don't qualify right now, but still you feel like, well, I'm, I know a guy, so I'm going to be able to do this. That's lousy. And shame on all the people in Jefferson City and the legislators that decided to do that. Honestly, they shouldn't be doing that. My parents called me today and they wanted to know, hey, um, should I get the vaccine? And I said, well, I don't have any hesitation. Like if I were you, I would have no hesitation going to get it. If the doctor said you qualify and you can do it and they do, you know, they're up there in age and they have the the ability to do it. And I said, I'd, I'd have no hesitation. But for me, you know, I'm young. My family's young. We're not in a high risk category. We don't have underlining issues that we have to deal with. I'm not working out into the public. I'm not having issues that way. No, I, for me, I don't mind holding off. It doesn't bother me one bit. But I wouldn't ever try to use the, uh, any p little power I may have and say, oh, hey, look at that. Uh, broadcasters are important, so we need to get up there. I would never do something like that. And it's kind of lousy to think that there were people that took advantage of the situation and tried to jump the line. Pretty lousy. A couple other clips that I have that I didn't get a chance to play here. Um, I almost want to play the parent going off with the school board thing again. I'm just going to do that because this is so great. This is great audio. This is in Virginia. Parent had an opportunity to go in front of the school board to express the frustrations that they have with the coronavirus and not letting the kids back into the classrooms. You should all be fired from your day jobs because if your employers knew that you were more inefficient than the, than the DMV, you would be replaced in a heartbeat. I literally just finished a conference call because I'm having to multitask to be here to, to address you guys. You're a bunch of cowards hiding behind our children as an excuse for keeping schools closed. You think you're some sort of martyrs because of the decisions you're making when the statistics do not lie that the vast majority of the population is not at risk from this virus. The garbage workers who pick up my freaking trash risk their lives every day more than anyone in this school system figure it out or get off the podium because you know what there are people like me and a lot of other people out there who will gladly your seat and figure it out it's not a high bar raise the freaking bar oh man i'm gonna give staff an opportunity to make sure that um the microphone have been. Please wipe it down ahead of time, please, because we don't want anything to affect us. Sir, your time is finished. Can you please leave the boardroom? It's okay. Don't Thank worry you. About it. I'll be back next time. In the next time. To open the freaking school. <laughs> Even on the way out, he's yelling. Uh, what a great line. Figure it out. Figure it out. Figure it out. This is pretty good. I like that he gets progressively more excited. And it goes from agitated to upset to pretty upset to I'm just going to release some steam. Way to go, this guy. He's in Virginia. I hope that the next time he takes the podium that this is also recorded and shared. I'd love to hear the follow up to this one in Virginia. I really would. It doesn't make me want to start watching school board meetings or anything because I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on these natural opportunities. But still. Even county meetings have been pretty tame lately. Good for them and Lisa Clancy and all that. After they tried to steal that chair, things got pretty heated there for a while. But, hey, somewhat tame. Maybe we'll have to get another update from our friend in the uh, county there 
we'll uh, maybe do that next week and see if things are starting to get a little bit better. But otherwise, what about those issues that are going around to different states? It seems like Missouri is one state and every other state has their problems. But you know what? There's a lot of universal issues that every state has. Scott Greenberger from Pew's State Line, they're going to join us after the break on Overnight America KMOX. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. And welcome back to Overnight America. See, I'm messing pretty much everything out tonight. So we're going to hope for the best here because mostly I have been uh, trying to do about a, a couple of things in the background. Joining us now is the executive editor of Stateline. And every year we have on someone to talk about the state of the states. It's a series where they go through and look at some of the issues each state is facing. And Missouri, one of those states that faces problems that a lot of other states do. Joining us now is that executive uh, editor of Pew State Line, Scott Greenberger. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You know, I think I called you John before the break, so I apologize. You're probably sitting there listening and thinking, oh, so what? Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Um, uh, so the state of the state, we look at the different issues that states are facing, like Missouri. And every day this week, uh, state line, what you've been doing is putting together some of the different things that you are monitoring in each state. Like on Monday, uh, legislating for the courts, uh, the national reckoning, uh, reckoning on Tuesday, public health on Wednesday helping people hurt by the downturn on Thursday and redistricting on Friday. So I wanted to look at each of these points. And if you have any input or how Missouri might fall into it, and let's go to the beginning, legislating for the courts. Sure. So this, uh, the, the story that we ran Monday, legislating for the courts, uh, talks a lot about, uh, focuses on the issue of abortion rights and the fact that, um, uh, former president Trump appointed, uh, more than 220, uh, judges to the federal judiciary, the Supreme Court nominations um, and confirmations got the most attention, but but there were many, many other judges appointed. And as a result of that, most of those judges, of course, uh, have a conservative um, outlook. And so uh, that is prompting uh, a lot of activity um, in the abortion debate from both sides of the issue, actually, because uh, people who would like to curb abortion rights uh, have been emboldened to um, pass legislation uh, that that uh, places new restrictions on it um, because they're thinking that if uh, those laws are challenged in the courts, that they're likely to get a favorable hearing and favorable rulings. And then on the other side, people who are supportive of abortion rights, they want to uh, pass legislation in states that are already uh, um, pro-abortion rights to enshrine those rights in law just in case uh, the Supreme Court ends up overturning Roe v. Wade. Yeah. So as states watch this sort of thing, a lot of times each individual state has their own laws and how they approach it, like here in Missouri. Um, normally you see more red states, more restrictive in, in different ways that they handle it. So how does Missouri fall into this? Is there um, anything unique about this state? Well, Missouri is, uh, you know, is a red state, of course, and it is um, it does definitely fall squarely into the column of states uh, that have taken steps to restrict abortion rights. Um, uh, you may remember a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago in August uh, 2019, a federal judge in Missouri blocked uh, the state from enforcing a ban on abortions after the eighth week of pregnancy. But it let stand other aspects of that law. Um, 
he, uh, the judge did not block the parts of the law banning abortions motivated by race, sex, or or a Down syndrome diagnosis. Um, I don't know. Missouri's gone pretty far in the direction of restrictions already, so we don't anticipate a whole lot of action on that front uh, in the current session. But in many other states, they will be trying to enact new restrictions, and perhaps in Missouri as well. You know, I'm kind of surprised this is one of the larger issues that states are facing, mostly because of everything else that's going on in the world. I, I feel like when we started talking about the virus and reaction and economies and things like that, for the most part, people were really focused on their finances, their family, their home, their job and stuff like this. I don't even know. We talked about it last year. It seems like this was just kind of like pushed away. Well, that's right. I think there's a lot of sort of pent up demand also for uh, the bills on this particular issue. The a lot of the legislative sessions last year, of course, were were cut short uh, by the pandemic or, or, you know, were dominated by the pandemic in other ways. So there wasn't a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of action on this issue. Um, but I think there will be this year uh, yeah. as as state lawmakers return. So it's almost like they, there's some business that needs tending to in that case. And these are some of the things that they're going to be catching up on. Um, so let's look at yeah, uh, legislating. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say that the pandemic also is related to this issue, just in that, you know, as, as people have been more accustomed to using telemedicine, when we talk about uh, medication abortions, the use of the pills for abortion, people, there have been fights uh, over whether um, the previous requirement that women have to go uh, see a doctor in person to get the first of those pills, whether that should still be in place when they've waived uh, those sort of in-person rules for a lot of other medical procedures. So even in that sense, you know, the pandemic has sort of prompted a, a new conversation on, on that front. So on Tuesday, uh, part of Pew State Line was looking at the national reckoning. Uh, reckoning. What does that uh, look at? Well, it, we were focusing on the national reckoning with race, of course, uh, you know, with the uh, demonstrations um, last summer and, and several years before that, of course, it all you could argue it all really began in Ferguson um, in 2014, I guess. But many, many legislatures, including Missouri's, are taking a look at uh, various ways to change uh, uh, policing. Um, one uh, very popular um, uh, step that is being considered in Missouri and has some support among Republicans as well as Democrats is a proposed ban on police chokeholds. And then uh, and then there are also many other um a uh, piece of legislation that had been proposed in Missouri that would be uh, trying to increase the accountability of the police and try to cut down on some of the incidents that we've seen um, and, you know, paid so much attention to over the past few years. Um, okay, so that's one and two. And I think the policing issue was brought up a few times early last year before a lot of the virus, what we saw, uh, some nationwide protests based on what happened in Minneapolis prompted a lot of legislators to want to get out in front of this um, and, and try to change some of these things. The no-knock warrants were a pretty popular thing, too. So there, that's, right. that's always going to be um, one. And I think there's a lot of bipartisan support on the way that they try to handle this. Another thing is public health. And I think this is probably the thing that's on the top of everyone's mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, of course, we're all we're in the midst of a the worst pandemic in a century. And um, it's been it's been awful. But uh, we spoke to a lot of people who said that public health experts who said that we really could have been better prepared, uh, except that over the past 10 years or so, 
uh, from the national level all the way down to states and localities, we really have not funded uh, public health agencies sufficiently. And there's been a, sort of a hollowing out of those public health entities um, that might have helped us respond better to the pandemic. I don't think anyone's arguing that, uh, you know, it would have made it uh, a walk in the park, but we probably could have done a better job on some of these things such as testing and contact tracing. And now with the with the rollout of the vaccine as well, um, if we hadn't, if we had invested more in uh, sort of long-term public health uh, measures and our public health infrastructure. And unfortunately, uh, another impact of the pandemic is that um, tax revenue is way, way down for all levels of government. So it doesn't seem likely, uh, unfortunately, that most states are going to have the resources or the will to to try and address this, which uh, which you know, raises the possibility that uh, if and when there's another pandemic, we won't be ready for that one either. Yeah, this is a tough one because there's so many different governments that have different ways of handling it. Like even here in St. Louis, we have the city of St. Louis and then we have St. Louis County, which kind of surrounds it. And each of them handled it a different way. Some have more restrictions than others because of public health. There's always question if it's necessary, when it's necessary, how much of it is necessary. There's people that resist. There's people that want to, uh, you know, fight the people resisting. And there's just so many different things that go into it. It's almost hard to look at the public health aspect without politicizing it because it's just so into the middle of it. And that's maybe one of the hardest things when you're trying to fight a pandemic like this. Absolutely. I mean, this political, uh, the, the fact that it has been politicized um, uh, to the point where in some, in some places, uh, public health officials have been uh, subjected to death threats um, and many have resigned um, under the tremendous pressure. And so, uh, you know, once we're through this, we uh, we face the the challenge of trying to replace some of these people um, who who left uh, because they were being treated so poorly. And and it is it's public health. Uh, you know, I think people were surprised at how politicized it became when the issue. You know, I heard an ad we're waiting to come on for uh, for uh, urging people to wear masks. I mean that that kind of thing uh, has become. Um, a real uh, a real tension point in a lot of places in the country. And that has dissuaded uh, uh, people from wanting to remain in the public health field. I'm so glad you didn't mention the other ad. <laughs> there is all kinds of other things that are going on in the world in public health. It all ties into so many other things. Like now we're still talking about how we're handling schools if we're getting the kids back in fast enough. Uh, the CDC and them have different recommendations. Now it's vaccines. So that's something that's going to take a while too to uh, sort out on, uh, on many different levels. Um, one of the other things that came out today was helping people hurt by the downturn. So the economic side, what's the, the federal response, but locally states have a big way of how they respond to help individuals. They do. I mean, this is a huge, huge area. Of course, so many people have been hurt by the pandemic um, in terms of their livelihoods. And uh, many, many people are behind uh, on their rent, can't pay their rent, or are, are worried about being evicted. There are people who are worried about having their uh, their water and their electricity shut off because they haven't been paying the bills. I mean, this is a real problem, and it's one that that won't go away even when the pandemic is declared over, whenever that is, because there's all of this accumulated debt. And so, um, you know, there have been steps taken at different levels of government. The federal government, uh, President Biden recently extended the federal moratorium on evictions until the end of March, and then uh, states, uh, but there are a lot of loopholes in that, and, and it doesn't uh, protect everybody. Um, 
And so, so many states have enacted their own um, eviction moratoriums, and, and cities have too. And in fact, St. Louis, uh, uh, St. Louis court recently extended um, the eviction uh, moratorium in the city till the end of January. Uh, and then also uh, three of the regional utilities in the St. Louis area um, are saying that they won't uh, shut off people's utilities for non-payment. But this is a, you know, this is a long-term problem as well. Uh, you know, of course, if people can't pay their rent, then landlords aren't collecting the income, and 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 many of them may have mortgages that are that are um, mortgage payments that they have to make. So it's. Uh, it's a real problem. Some of this federal money that was just approved as part of the latest uh, stimulus, states are using that for uh, housing-related uh, um, relief, but uh, nobody thinks that it's going to be enough. So this is a problem that's going to be with us for a while. Yeah, it seems like there's going to be a lot that has to do with a federal response, and even locally here, when it comes to the individual monies that were given to the different cities and the counties or whatever it may be, they find different ways to approach that. Some have been more responsible than others. Some have burned through it in ways, and you go back and look, and listen, St. Louis has got its problems. St. Louis County's got a lot of problems. So this is something we follow pretty closely. It's hard to imagine that a local and a state response is going to get it done. It seems like the only way they're going to be able to help people is on a federal level, because if they're going to continue this national moratorium on evictions, it seems like the federal side is going to have to bear the burden when it comes to the amounts of money that will be lost when people at the end of this can't pay with their back rent. So there's probably going to be another stimulus in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, the Biden administration and the Democrats on, on Capitol Hill here in Washington are, are trying to come up with a new package right now, one that would be much larger than the, than the last one that um, that President Trump signed. Uh, that one, I think, was in the neighborhood of nine hundred billion, that last one. And this one, I think uh, President Biden is talking about something like one point six um, trillion. So, yeah, I mean, certainly there is debate ongoing um, in Washington, D.C. over uh, how much money, how much more money is going to be needed um, right away. And and as far as Biden's concerned, that's just I think he's referred to that as a down payment. He thinks there would have to be even more than that afterwards. So, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of need out there. The other thing is going to be released tomorrow, and I should probably mention that if while we're having this conversation, if someone wanted to see the reports and how they play out in the different states, where can they actually find these? Yeah, that's it uh, on our site, stateline.org. The articles are all all posted there. Stateline.org and Pew's Stateline Executive Editor Scott Greenberger joining us. Tomorrow we talk redistricting. That's what you're going to be posting on Stateline.org. It may be a preview of that. How is this time around different than any other time? Because mostly we talk about redistricting in a way of gerrymandering and how they break down house seats, things like that. Uh, Is there anything that's unique to this one? As in, is there anything different than what we've discussed in the past? Well, I mean, it, it's it's a big deal whenever it happens because it only happens every every ten years after the census, uh, based on you know the population changes that are reflected in the census. Uh, each state has its own process um, for drawing the state legislative lines and also the district lines for the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, in the past uh, ten years, we saw a lot of court cases, uh, fights over this, where Republicans who had um, uh, taking control of a majority of state houses in the 2010 elections, used that power in 2011 and beyond to draw the maps to their benefit, which 
that Democrats do as well when they're in control. And a lot of those maps were challenged in court. And uh, in some cases, states were forced to redraw them, uh, sometimes more than once. Um, And uh, one of the results of that, actually, is that many states have decided that they wanted to move away from a system under which state legislators are the ones who draw the lines and and move to some system, some sort of system where a commission, either nonpartisan or or bipartisan, um, uh, does that. So many states have moved in that direction over the past decade. Uh, Missouri actually is an interesting case because it's the one state that did voters did approve a change, uh, taking it away from state legislators and giving the responsibility to a nonpartisan demographer. Uh, but then in, in 2020, in this most recent uh, election, they reversed themselves again, the, the Missouri voters, and decided to go back to um, uh, a system under which legislators would do it. That was pushed by Republicans who dominate the, the state government of Missouri, and, and many uh, people who opposed that, that switchback said that uh, voters were, were misled and didn't really understand what they were doing with that. But, but Missouri is a very interesting case. Are any other states like Missouri in that case? Do you find that they all tried to approach it before the census or is Missouri in the minority in that sense? Well, Missouri is is in the minority in that it made the switch and then and then switched back. Uh, Other states um, did decide to move away from um, uh, the process, uh, putting the process in the the hands of of uh, legislators and instead uh, letting um, uh, coming up with some sort of other system designed to eliminate uh, what is uh, generally called gerrymandering, which is the drawing of the districts in such a way that the majority party uh, makes it very, very difficult for the minority party to um, pick up seats. Okay. So again, if people wanted to read some of these different issues that states are facing, you can go through them, realize there's going to be ties to Missouri, but then you can also find out, because I mean, there's we at night here at KMOX reach like 35 different states. So they may be listening where they're at and curious about their own individual states. Is it just easiest to go to stateline.org? Yes, that's right. And we, you know, what we do with these stories and, and all the time, actually, is we try to cover state and local policy from a national perspective so people can compare what's happening in their state to what's going on in other states. So I think it's, uh, it's designed to be for a national audience for people who live in any state. So I think uh, any of your listeners would find it interesting. Yeah, it's probably best for us to realize that we're not alone. I mean, the states have similar problems that they're facing in different ways. We can use it as an opportunity to see what works, what doesn't in similar types of states. And hopefully we learn from it. But eh, I don't know if we necessarily learn from it, but it's important that we study it, which exactly what you guys do at Pew Stateline. So stateline.org and their executive editor, Scott Greenberger. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX tonight. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was fun. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. This is one of the headlines I saw online and immediately thought, oh, this will be a fun topic for tonight. It says... A lawsuit was filed accusing Subway of selling tuna that doesn't actually contain tuna. Oh, man. Uh, These fast food lawsuits, they go through ebbs and flows. You remember Taco Bell had a lawsuit and then they found out to be, well, that's actually not the case, not true. And they were able to defend themselves. I wonder if it's going to be similar to this sense. And I'm getting this from the blog called The Delish. The lawsuit against Subway, uh, Subway accuses the chain of selling 
tuna subs and wraps to customers that don't actually contain tuna, according to the Washington Post. Filed in the U.S. District Court, Northern District of California, of course. Why wouldn't it be filed there? It says that the plaintiff says the mixture of various concoctions that do not constitute tuna. That's such a great legal term. Concoction that does not constitute tuna. Blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of tuna. Subway spokesperson said these claims are meritless. Tuna is one of our most popular sandwiches. Our restaurants receive 100% wild-caught tuna mixed in with mayonnaise, served fresh, blah, blah, blah. Makes me want to get a tuna sub from Subway. It's been forever since I had those. You know, I stopped going to Subway the same time they stopped the $5 footlongs. That gimmick was so good. I mean, it got you in the door. And I just don't go there anymore. I love Jimmy John's, but man... Now that I'm thinking about a tuna sub, maybe it's just that time of night. Maybe it's uh, just right to go get one, but I'm not going to. Maybe in the future, though. It makes me wonder what exactly will happen here. Could possibly make the lawsuit open to anyone who bought a tuna product from Subway after 2017 or January of 2017 could get in on this. Well, that does it for us here on Overnight America. We'll be back again on Sunday night, and I hope that we get to spend some more time on Sunday night. Maybe it'll be a little bit warmer, but if not, download the podcast. That'll always warm your heart. Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook is a way you can connect with me. Enjoy the rest of your night. A couple of replay hours coming up next, and have a good weekend. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Change the dial on the radio Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow If things were only like they used to be We'd be lying in love tonight I wish you'd call me on has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 